The first book in the Bible is called Genesis. And we're going to look closely at the first page of the book of Genesis. It's a carefully crafted narrative about God creating and ordering the whole cosmos. Okay, let's check it out. Now, the opening line of the whole Bible is, In the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now, your Bible translation might say, the heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above. And the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it reads, Now the land was wild and waste. This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, what we might call nothingness. For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing. And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss? Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for God's Spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Yes, and this ordering happens in a series of six days. Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning. Yeah, every day addresses those problems introduced in verse 2, that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days 1 through 3, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then, on days 4 through 6, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay, so the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order of time. Okay, and then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault? In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God is establishing the realm of the land, and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on days four through six. So in day four, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. God installs these lights, the sun, moon, and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. 
Then finally on day six, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then, matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food. Now, over and over, God says what he created was good. But then, after making humans, God says that it is very good. Yes, humanity is the climax of days one through six, and their importance is explained in the first poem in the Bible. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures, but they're also more. They're God's image, which means that together, men and women embody and represent the creator within his creation. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over the creatures. This is the purpose of being God's image, to oversee creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. Very cool. Now, after the six days, we get a concluding line that links back to the key words of the opening line. And so we're completed, the skies and the land, and all their inhabitants. Except there's one more day. It stands outside the pattern of days one through six. It's the big climax. And God completed on the seventh day the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy so God rests on the seventh day. This is a standard biblical image where God, after ordering the cosmos, comes to rest and dwell in his sacred space. It's like the whole world is a holy temple where God lives with his people. Now that phrase, there was evening and morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. That's right. The seventh day has no end. That's because Genesis 1 is describing God's ideal vision for the whole cosmos. A place where God lives with his partners to rule the world in harmony forever. Yes, the seventh day is the goal of creation. It's actually so important that the author of Genesis 1 has woven the number seven into every part of the story. There are seven days of creation, seven announcements that creation is good. There are seven Hebrew words in the opening verse, and then two times seven Hebrew words in verse two. And then the statement about the seventh day has three lines of seven words. Wow. So the first page in the Bible is doing way more than just telling us how the world was made. Right. Genesis 1 has been designed to show us that God's purpose is to share creation with his images so they can rest and rule it with him forever. And that purpose is what the rest of the biblical drama is all about. presentation. That was so rich and so good and it comes to you from the Bible Project and it's all available on YouTube and you can go and check out all their explanations of the books of the Bible and Genesis being one of their just excellent presentations in my view. Um, when you go to see a special event or a concert, how many of you love to have front row seats? Front row seats, yes? Nobody? Okay. Yeah, we've got a few. Okay. Yeah, we all like front row seats. In fact, I went to hear a, an author uh, speak 
at the Merchant Building at Kendallville uh, Noble County Fairgrounds, and I had a front row seat. Now, the event was free, so I just showed up early and had my front row seat, and that was great because I, I got to see and hear everything really well, and that was awesome. Um, one time in seminary in Texas, we would go sometimes to see the Texas Rangers play, and they would open up their gates in seventh inning so we could go for free. But one evening, I wanted to go early and take the kids, you know, and go early and just go ahead and buy the tickets and go in and see the whole game. Uh, so we lived in Dallas. Fort Worth, Texas was where the, the Rangers play and where their stadium is there in Arlington. And uh, a scalper was selling tickets, and he held up some tickets, and he says, first, first base bag, first base bag. I said, are these tickets you're saying are by, behind the first base dug, dugout? And he never, really, he never really answered me clearly. He just said, first base bag, first base bag. He was excited about it. He's like, well, man, this is a good deal. So I bought the tickets. I go in. And by the time we get seated, we're on the first base bag side of the field. He was right, 100%. But I looked up, and I counted like six rows from the top. <laughs> I was behind first base bag, but all the Rangers looked about that tall. Today, what you're being invited into in the book of Genesis is a front row seat to the creation. A front row seat. Genesis 1, it is historical prose, but with a poetic touch. And the reason I say it that way is because you're going to see phrases like, let there be, and there was, and the Bible project amplifies that and draws that out. And so that's poetic. That's uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it, so on and so forth. And it lays out the days of creation, and it runs over into the seventh day of creation, um, which is, runs over into Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. But when you look at what the writer is trying to convey and communicate to us, you're going to see that the writer of Genesis 1, which is Moses, emphasizes a geocentric perspective. What do I mean by that? It's an earth-centered perspective. And what that means is that Moses, the author, wants you, the reader, to view Creation Week as if you were a spectator on planet Earth watching it all unfold in real time. He wants you to witness what God has done and is, was doing in the creationary week. And he wants to let you witness it. And, and when you witness it and you see it on your front row seat of creation, chances are you're going to describe it just precisely as Moses describes it here in Genesis 1. In fact, if you could just see these things one time each day, you're going to probably want to get up out of that front row seat and cheer and rejoice and dance with joy over what you have just seen. And by the time you reach day seven, having seen all of these six days, incredible, phenomenal days of creation, you've seen it, you've stood up, you've applauded, you've danced with joy. It's like, wow, look at that and look at that and look what God did there in your front row seat. Moses wants you to do, the writer of Genesis wants you to do, is by the time he reaches and you reach that seventh day, he wants you to get up out of that seat and fall on your knees 
and say, wow, what a creator. Wow, what a magnificent, sovereign creator who creates out of nothing this world. He takes the form and the formlessness and the void and he gives shape and structure to it. And church, if you need a creationary week spoken over and into your life, that's what Genesis 1 also tells you. That God enters chaos. He enters the darkness. He enforces his structure into it and his order. And he creates a stable world in which we all can live and operate. And so this morning, and when we see the movie in just a few moments, Genesis 1 is, is, is a call to be in the moment. Watch it all unfold. Don't worry about the Big Bang All right, don't worry about the expansion of the universe. Science is going to have those discussions. There's a place for those discussions. There's a place where science informs and and, and enlightens and helps us to see things. The, the, The Bible and science do not conflict. And where the Bible addresses scientific matters, it is accurate in that address and in those places. But for now, get in your front row seat. And get into the mind of what the author has in mind when he gives us this book. Don't worry about the Big Bang. Don't worry about the expansion of the universe. Don't worry about the age of the cosmos. Don't worry about gaps of time between verses. Don't worry about proposed theories of evolution. Don't worry about carbon dating and erosionary rates. And don't worry about fossil formations. And and don't worry about the speed of light and the millions of years it takes to reach the earth. It's not what Moses wants you focused on. He wants you to focus in that front row seat. The beauty of what God is doing before your very eyes. Again, there's a place for discussion of all those things. Don't misunderstand. All of those things merit discussion. All of those things come into play and and that have to be thought through and have to be... uh, laid out and arguments presented and that's very clear and it's so important that we do that but I don't want you to worry about those things I want you just to to enjoy your front row seat of what God has done in the creation of the world now I know light presently travels at 186,282 miles per second through the earth's atmosphere presently I know that But you can't assume that it's always traveled at that speed since the very beginning. That's a huge assumption. Science can't even verify that. Also, researchers in labs have been able to bring light to a dead standstill, stop it, capture it, and then release it. Other scientists have sped light impulses to 300 times the observed speed of light. And if mankind can manipulate the speed of light, can God manipulate the speed of light? Everybody always wants to talk about how Adam and Eve, you know, they're going to have to wait millions of years waiting for that light to get to them because it takes millions of years for the light to come from the star of the earth. Right? That's the big argument. Everybody wants, scientists want to make that argument. Oh, the speed of light, there's no way. We have to be millions and billions of years old. Well, if God made the universe in a mature way and he he made the world a mature world... If he made Adam and Eve, did you notice in the video, he made Adam and Eve fully formed. They were never infants. They never did teenage years, okay? They were made fully formed as adults. 
Okay, some people, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, maybe the only two people that never had a belly button. Think about that. They didn't need a belly button. Now, could God made them with a belly button? Maybe. But they didn't need one. God made them as adults. Okay? And he did the same when he made the world. He made it a mature world. Adam and Eve never had to wait around millions of years for the lights of the star to reach them. It was already there when he made the world. But I want you to set. Like I said, there's a time and place for those discussions. You would not believe the intellectually satisfying answers you have to all the questions you've got, scientific or otherwise. There are so many, and our church is dedicated to answering those, those questions. We have committed to that. Biblical Worldview Weekends, Answers in Genesis Curriculums and things. We, we are committed to helping you come to rest on some of these quandaries and dilemmas that, so, that the scientific community maybe wants to present and try to resolve or not resolve as answerable questions. Well, God is faithful. And he made Adam and Eve as adults. He made the, uh, the universe as a mature world. And he wants you, Moses wants you, the author of Genesis, wants you to sit in that front row seat and just enjoy as if you were seeing it for the very first time. To enjoy what God is making. And if you'll do that, what you'll find is a, in, in a bird's eye overview of Genesis 1, you'll find there are two basic elements. First, God creates the world for humans in six days. And second, God rests on the seventh day. And these two events make up the first week of human history. And so you can remember the order of things by keeping two words in mind, forming and filling. If we would uh, pull up slide number 17, if you would for me. Slide 17, forming and filling. So listen closely. So on days one through three, God formed the heavens and the earth. And on days four through six, he filled the heavens and the earth with inhabitants. Let me say it again a different way. On days one, two, and three, God is creating realms. On days four, five, and six, God is creating rulers for those realms. See it on the screen in the chart. Three days are given to making the uninhabitable earth productive, and three days concern filling the uninhabited earth with life. So on the first day... Here on slide 17, you can see it. On the first day, God creates the realm of light and darkness. On the fourth day, look at the parallel. On the fourth day, God made, I'll read right out of the, of the chapter of Genesis 1, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern to rule the day, the lesser light to govern or to rule the night. He also made the stars. On the second day, on the screen, he creates two more realms. The realm of water and sky. On the fifth day, he creates two sets of rulers for those realms, fish and birds. On day three, he makes another realm, land and vegetation. And on day six, he fills that realm with two more rulers, animals and humans. And then, of course, on the seventh day, he sits down. People ask, did God make the world in seven days? I say, no, he made it in six and rested on the seventh. And that's what he did. One supreme ruler over all. And that's important. And as you sit on your front, in your front row seat, as it were, watching God do his thing in this creationary week, you're going to notice something. And what you're going to notice is that each day has an evening and a morning. Uh, if you look on slide number three for me, if you would. 
If you notice in chapter 1, look at verse 5, and there was evening and there was morning. That's one day. Go to slide number 4, if you would, for me. Look at verse 8, and there was evening and there was morning, a second day. So you have a number and you have a phrase, evening and morning, and they're used with each of the six days of creation. So each day is accompanied by a number. Notice as we read the phrase, there was evening and there was morning, and it was accompanied by a number of the day, such as a second day and so on and so forth. Let me tell you what the Hebrew experts are telling you, okay? Here's what the Hebrew experts and grammarians are telling you. That when you see the word day or yom in the Hebrew, and it's accompanied by a numerical adjective, it always refers to a literal day. It's never figurative. Never figurative. And so it offers, we could offer two clarifications here. Some people believe that the first three days of creation cannot be ordinary days because the sun was not made until day four. But this argument presupposes that the sun is necessary to have a day marked by evening and morning, but to have an evening and morning on the first three days, all that was needed was a rotating earth and a light source. It doesn't have to be the sun yet. The sun comes on day four. You still have light on day one. So it doesn't have to be the sun yet. Clarification number one. Clarification number two. Some people feel that there wasn't enough time on day six. The climax of creationary week, there wasn't enough time. The Bible gives too many details to fit into 24 hours on the sixth day. Well, Genesis 2 gives us events of day six, and Genesis 1 gives us more of an overview But for the sake of argument, let's assume that Adam actually did tend the garden for some time and that God only worked during the 12-hour daylight portion of the day. 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., God creates land animals. 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., God creates Adam from dust. 8 to 9 a.m., God created the garden and put Adam in it. 9 to 11 a.m., Adam tends the garden. Isn't this an incredible day? 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., Adam names the animals. 3 to 5 p.m., Adam sleeps, and God creates Eve from Adam's rib. 5 to 6 p.m., Adam and Eve meet for the very first time. And he breaks out into poetry, and you see that in Genesis 2. And God tells them what they can and should and should not eat. What an incredible day six. And you know, you look at Exodus chapter 22, and the six days, okay, And slide number eight, if you would, for me. For in six days, and and by the way, God himself wrote with his own finger the Ten Commandments. And we have this from God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. God says, I made it in six days. You see, science and the Bible don't conflict, church. But any worldview that suggests there is no creator... The Bible's got a big problem with that, and you do too, if you subscribe to that view. No, 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 there was a creator, and this world is ultimately a personal universe with a personal creator who, who speaks it into existence in six days, and he rested on the seventh. Uh, I want to go back to this ruler idea quickly, and we'll transition, and, and we'll draw this to a close. Okay, and the world is full of rulers. You can see that. 
on the chart how God placed the different rulers over the various realms, and he definitely, on the last the seventh day of the Christianary week, you have God as a supreme ruler, and the question is, is he ruling over your life, or is some other created thing ruling over your life? If God is not number one in your life, and he's not the source of your value and your worth and your security and your power, and something else is going to rule over you, it might be romance, it might be uh, things, it might be family, it might be career, it might be money, but you, and it'll get to the place where these things rule you, and you will hate yourself if you don't have them. And your esteem will plummet, and life will be meaningless unless you see yourself as under God. And unless you're under God, you'll be under everything else. And you belong on day six. I belong on day six. And we belong. We're, we're the last thing that was created. And so we're co-created. In a sense, we're co-partners with God. He, he makes this world and he puts us in charge of it. and says, now let's do this together. But you've got to do it under me. And so back to this maturity idea. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they were created in the mature state, just like Adam and Eve were created in their mature state. He created the stars, and they reflected light, and, and, they, and the light that came from them was already reaching the earth when Adam and Eve was created. And the same, the same that was true of Adam and Eve is, is true of the cosmos and the universe, meaning that when, when Adam and Eve were only a few days old, they had the appearance of living for years. And the earth and the universe also is created in a mature state, meaning there's no emphasis to the physical world, but rather it was created in a mature state, meaning that it had the appearance of age from the very start. So hypothetically, if scientists would have examined Adam and Eve after the first year of creation to determine their age, the scientists would have determined them to be much older than they actually were. And it's possible that many scientists today are making the same error regarding the earth and the universe and the age of it. Just like that. And let me tie in the New Testament and Jesus here. Christ's first miracle was turning water into wine, according to John and his gospel. He turned water into wine. Meaning his first miracle in the New Testament was making something already old in a moment. This was aged wine. This was premier wine. This was stuff that tasted like it had been, it, it had been weathering and, and, and uh, fermenting for all those years, maybe 50, 60 years. It was the very best stuff that you could possibly get your hands on. Jesus made this. Something that was, that was old, he made it in a moment. And the wine that Jesus made from water, that wine was mature wine. If they had studied the wine in a lab, they would have concluded that it was fermented grapes years old, even if it was only 10 minutes minutes old. You see that? You see what John does is when he writes his gospel, slide number 12 if you would for me, he says to you, he begins just like Genesis begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, the Word Jesus. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Do you see what he's doing? He's giving to you a new creation. He says now, just like God created the world 
in the beginning out of nothing, we have one who has come. In the beginning, Jesus has come. He's a new creator, and he speaks new creation over the old creation. And all those years of ministry he spent to restore a broken creation, to shape it from the chaos of the world. And after he went into the darkness of death, and he rose again victorious over the grave, Slide 14, he lined the disciples up and he breathed on them. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, I hope they had, he had um, resurrection breath. I hope he did. I hope he didn't need an, an altoid, right? He breathed on them. Well, does, does people just breathe on people in the first century? Is that what you do when you greet people? You just breathe on them? Everybody do that? Uh-uh. Nobody did that. Okay? Slide 16. What's he doing? Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, this is Genesis 2-7, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Adam, get up. He got up. On the sixth day. What's Jesus doing? Get up. It's new. I have come to speak new creation into you and over you. Get up. Rise up to your feet. Breathe in the breath of life. This is what's happening when we transition the creation event into the New Testament and we see what God is up to in and through Jesus. And so I would just invite you today, as you sit on your front row seat, as it were, and you watch God do his thing in Genesis 1, that you'll know that the Christ is not only the light and the creator and the son of God, he is the savior that has come into the world. And was so impressed by his life that John says, I'm going to write a new Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. He is a Savior of the world, and He will save you, and He can bring Genesis to your life. And that's what He's come to do. He reorders life. He will do it for you if you call on Him today. So call on Him. Call on Him. Invite Him in. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the beauty of what you've done for the world, not just in creating it, but you have redeemed it. You have saved it, and you have saved us, and you have come as new, crea crea new creation to us. And I don't know who needs breathed on this morning, who's spiritually lifeless and dead who needs a creation spoken over them, but I pray in these moments that you would uh, touch hearts. And as we pull up to this magnificent front row seat to the creation of the world, that we'll feel a tap on our shoulder. And it will be Jesus himself who says, hey, I was there when it was made. I made you. And I will remake you if you only but allow me to do it. And so this morning, you who not only made us once, 
But now you're saying you're going to make us twice in your image. Thank you, Lord. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, that concludes our stream. And so while we transition out on the stream in the feed, they're going to go ahead and set the movie up. Guys, go ahead and set the movie up. It'll take them just a minute or two to do this.